You're listening to episode 156 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden, and today I'm chatting with Mary DeMuth. We're talking about how to build the family you never had. And I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to say that you are a good mother, and I want you to say it out loud. Over the years, I've come to understand the still small voice of the Lord, and I knew it was Him. And I thought, this is dumb. I don't want to say this out loud. There's no one really around, and I don't want to. But then I thought, okay, well, I say I love Jesus, so He wants me to do this. There must be a reason. And whether I think it's weird or whatever, I'm just going to say it out loud. So I said, I am a good mom. And I said it out loud, and I just burst into tears again. And I and I something broke in that moment, and I realized all that insecurity and all those fears that I was going to duplicate the home I was raised in. It they just kind of melted away. There's still vestiges of that, of course. I mean, nothing's ever perfect on this earth, but there was a, a lion's share of healing that happened in just declaring that. Let me introduce you to Mary Jemuth. If you already know her and her 30 books that she's written, well, today Mary's coming on the podcast to share a bit of her broken story to encourage the mom out there that perhaps is trying to build the home that she never knew. It's trying to heal from some broken parts of her past who wants a better story for her kids. And what I love about Mary's story is she talks about the unselfish healing that in order to really move on and be the person she wants her kids to be, she needed to spend some time with God. And that was about healing her, her feelings of unworthiness, really embracing his love for her, trusting that her kids know that they're loved by her. And I absolutely adore her thoughts at the end about peripateo and studying how Jesus interacted with his disciples and how we can do that with our kids. It's a great conversation, and I think it's really going to encourage you today. And I also wanted to let you know that if you have something hard you're going through, God is not asking you to carry the weight of the outcome. He wants you to take it for you. He wants to take that burden for you. He wants to take all those broken things, and He wants to heal you. And one way you can do that is this tool that we've been using in our house. It's simple. It's a cross. It has some holes already drilled in it. It has some nails, and we simply write down those broken things, those fears, those worries, and we literally nail them to the cross. It seems silly. What could that do? And just like Mary said, I'm not going to say out loud I'm a good mom. That's silly. But it's that moment, that physical act, that act of faith that transforms us. It may not change the circumstances, but it transforms us. And it really, truly is an act of surrender. If you would like your own surrender cross, head on over to RadJoy, rad-joy.com. My friends Jackie and her husband Rick are going to take care of you and their kids are going to pray over that cross. And one idea that my friend Courtney DeFeo, what she does with her cross is around Lent this season, this time of year, they actually nail their sins to the cross. And on Easter morning, they replace those with flowers to say, you know, God took it all. He has taken everything and we do not have to live with the burden of that sin. Uh, There's so many different ideas and ways you can use it. There's different sizes. If you're looking for a little gift for your kids for Easter, go check it out. You can also go to GodCenterMom.com backslash RadJoy. All right, let's get to my conversation with Mary. Here we go. Hey, Mary, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thank you so much for having me. What a privilege. Well, I've been anxious to get to share you with my listeners ever since I heard your story. Actually, before I even had a podcast, I was like, I want to share a story with people. How can I do that? Uh, you have 
also written so many different books that I've read and enjoyed. And so what a pleasure to get to share you with anyone who's listening who's never read your stuff or heard of you. Um, would you just take a quick second and introduce them to your family and where you are and all that sort of thing? Sure. I am the mom of three adult kids now, so wow. I, I have not really finished parenting. I think it just keeps going in a different form, but uh, three adult kids, girl, boy, girl, and um, husband of 20, almost 27 years with Patrick. I mean, I'm not the husband. He's my husband <laughs> and uh, I'm the wife and uh, we live in a suburb of Dallas and we have a very aloof cat and we are soon to get a chocolate lab puppy oh. who is probably going to ruin our lives, but it's going to be awesome. Um <laughs> So I didn't grow up in Texas, so that's why I don't have an accent. Uh, at least I don't think I do. No. And I grew up in the Seattle area, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of that story later. But I also am an author. I've written over 30 books now, and um, it's so crazy to even say I that know. Loud. That's a lot more than I even realized. Yeah, 30 books. Yeah. Wow. And my main message is restory, to restore your life. And so I go around the nation and have had the privilege of going around the world talking about how God gives us a brand new story. And, oh, also I have a um, podcast called The Restory Show, and you can find that on RestoryShow.com, and that's kind of the new baby I've been working on and just uh, interviewing people with amazing stories. So if any of your listeners out there have an amazing story, please uh, please contact me because I would love to highlight your story on The Restory Show. It's very cool. And God has definitely given you a new story uh, from all that has happened in your life. And, um, I, I haven't been able to shake the story when I heard it. Um, particularly me having boys, just recognizing mm. the negative impact, uh, my sons could have on someone's life, uh, forever based on choices they make and the lack of my training and, um, just really handling that with grace. And yet also keeping it forefront that as moms, I am, I am the one who can direct their, you know, what they do and how they behave and how they treat others. And mm -hmm. anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I have also done a lot of ministry with women and know that pain and brokenness and wounds is a more common thing than we like to talk about. And we all need hope in hearing re-stories. Uh, we also need to know that we're not alone in those painful places. And so... I think it'd be great if you could share some of, of your your past and your hard places so that the woman listening would have that hope, you know, that you have seen God move and change and repair those hurts. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a home I didn't want to duplicate later. So I ended up writing a book called uh, Building the Christian Family You Never Had. And my kids joke about it that they're going to put it on their coffee table when I come to visit <laughs> when they have kids. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so I grew up in a difficult home, a lot of mostly just in neglect. I just felt completely alone. And as an only child uh, growing up, that was kind of just part of life. When you're an only child, you kind of experience that anyway. Mm. Um, but really the, the bad things were happening up for most of my childhood, I think definitely from birth to five. But there's um, there's some secrecy in my family about what was going on there, but I have some inklings about what was happening. Um, my mom was divorced by then from my biological father and was uh, by the time I was five was living with another man. 
who became her husband. She met him in a laundromat. He was a hippie and so was she. So that kind of gives a little bit of clue about how old I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, yeah, they they grew a really pretty green plant in the closet. So um, it's now legal in a few states. Yes. And uh, so, um, but during that fifth year of life, uh, I went to kindergarten and would come home every day to this old lady who was a babysitter. And she uh, would... Um, there would be a knock at the door and she would allow these neighbor boys to come take me. And they were in their teens, probably mid to late teens. Um, a, a, I thought that they were both brothers. Um, I have recently found out that they couldn't have been brothers, but it was like one kid who I have identified now and some friend or a cousin or something. And they hmm. uh, they took me uh, immediately. There was no grooming. They just took me out into the woods and they started molesting me. And that happened for almost that whole kindergarten year. Mm. And a couple of things that were going on at that time was they, of course, told me that they would kill my parents if I told. And they also used a bad word to describe what they were doing. And I didn't want to say that bad word and get in trouble, but mostly I didn't want to get my parents killed. And so I kept it quiet Mm. for a really long time. Um, And, you, you know, you talked a little bit about being a mother of boys one of the things that, you know, is a point of anger for me is sometimes they would take me into to this home and um, they would do what they were going to do in their bedroom while their mom was in the other room awesome. baking cookies and the dad was a scout leader. And mm. I just, I don't understand why they did not figure that out. It doesn't make any sense mm. to me because if I were a mom yeah. of a boy or a girl, right? if those things were happening in my house, if there was a young child, an older people, you know, with them in a room with the door shut, I would have investigated and tried to figure out what that was. But Mm -hmm. there was just really, literally no one was there to rescue me. Mm -hmm. And so finally I decided uh, I wasn't, I don't know why, but I just didn't tell my mom. Like you would think that the first person you would tell would be like your mom or your dad, but Mm -hmm. uh, I just didn't feel safe, I think. And so I ended up telling this random babysitter that this was going on, which, you know, I was only five, so I didn't really have logic figured out. Um, She was the one sending me to these boys. So obviously she wasn't going to respond well, but I didn't know that. I thought she would protect me. So I told her and she said, I'm going to tell your mom. And so I was so happy because the next day when I got back from kindergarten and I would, it was half day. So I would spend the afternoon at the lady's house. And then later in the afternoon when the boys got off out of school, they would pick me up. Um, so I thought I was saved. And so the next day after I thought my mom knew, because I believe the babysitter told the truth, they knocked on the door again and they took me out. And so at that point I realized there, I thought in my mind that my mom knew and she didn't care. Now that wasn't the case, but I didn't have any way of knowing that. Hmm. And so I decided that really the only human on earth that was going to protect me would be me. And so for the rest of that time, I, I don't remember or recall how long this was, whether it was a month or two months, but I just decided to sleep. So I would get home from kindergarten and I would run to the you know, the babysitter's house and then I would eat a very fast sandwich because I didn't have any concept of time. I didn't know how much longer it would take for them to get to the house. And then I would just pretend to sleep in her bed for a really long time, hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And that did save me because she was extremely lazy and to have to rouse me was just too much work. And so that was in my head for, you know, that, that didn't, I didn't ever talked about it until mm-hmm. I was 15 and I eventually met Jesus at 15. And after that, I 
got up the courage enough to to start beginning to tell that story and and just start the tiniest bit of healing at that point and um and so then I've been on a healing journey ever since that moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of a mom, um, now, you know, now that my kids are grown, I don't have this as much because they're out of the house, although I still worry about them. But um, I was very protective and cautious and and uh, tried to have a lot of open open conversations with my kids just because I know what it's like to be violated. And I know how it messes with you. It messes with your, with your marriage and all of that. And so that that's kind of the, the gist of my story. My, my biological father also took his life when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And um, I had was on the third father by then. And then my mom ended up divorcing when I was seventh, eighth grade. And that's when I started to think about how I needed to kill myself and Mm. thought of ways to do it because I didn't understand why I was on this earth. And as I mentioned, thankfully, um, Jesus rescued me at 15 and someone invited me to young life and I started hearing the gospel and it changed my life completely. Mm. Somebody invited you. Yep. Just, I mean, for the person listening who's like, why am I on earth? She's thinking the same question. And she may even relate to some of your story. And uh, I just think of if our life is even that one invitation for someone else or or you sharing right now so that one person can know they're not alone. It's so powerful that that invitation to a young life and the power of the gospel to just say, oh, this is this is resonating. There's my worth. There's my value. He came and he, he knows me so much of your story and so much pain and so much hurt. And, and like you said, it's been a long healing journey. Like we're not going to date you, I'm not going to date you, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so many, so, so many, many decades of so healing, a few decades of healing. <laughs> and oh, I know that you said the gospel, but what other powerful things have been a part of your healing story? What mile markers would you say in your journey? Well, Never underestimate the power of prayer. And I, I truly believe that those, I went to, ended up going to college and, um, during those four years of college, I didn't go to a Christian school, but I had a, a bunch of very good Christian friends. And those friends actually believed that God would heal me. And they just spent those four years laying hands on me and praying for me. Mm. And so much so that I um, naively said and kind of wiped my hands of it all and said, okay, uh, henceforth, I am now healed and I never have to deal with this again. Now let's go get married and have kids and everything will be fine. Yeah. And I, and it worked for a while. Like I, I, a lot of those prayers that, I mean, there was some deep cleansing healing that happened, some very significant work that the Holy Spirit did in my life during those prayer times. Um, but once I got married and had to deal with, you know, having sex and, um, had to deal with having children and then having my girls reach five mm. years old, a real mm. common thing, mm. uh, is to kind of flash back when that happens. Yeah. Um, everything fell apart again. And I had to, at that point, um, people were still praying for me, but I had to get some counseling and kind of work through my past. And that was really a, a blessing too. So I've kind of gone through it all, um, 
all those different stages. And I think it's also stages of grief. And I also believe, too, that what has saved me, besides Jesus, of course, has been my willingness to share my story with safe people. Mm. And I often tell audiences that an an untold story never heals. And it just festers and gets worse. And we really do give the enemy a stronghold when we try to hide everything Mm -hmm. and try to, you know, create some sort of perfect Christian image. And one of the things I've learned as a parent is you end up duplicating what's inside of your heart and your kids. And, Mm -hmm. And what your job is as a mom and as a dad is is to become the person you want your kids to become. Mm. And that to me is really very powerful. And and so part of my journey in healing was I realized that I had to heal not only for my sake and, and had a real hard time thinking about healing for my sake. For whatever reason, it felt selfish to me. But I needed to heal for – if I couldn't heal for me – I needed to heal for the sake of my marriage and for the sake of my children because my kids needed a healed mommy and my husband needed a healed wife. And so then it was not a selfish endeavor about me, you know, trying to heal myself or whatever. It was more like, I'm going to doggedly pursue this, Mm. not only because I think Jesus wants me to, but because my kids deserve better than a broken, um, continually sad mommy. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Uh, I think part of that healing journey was prayer and counseling, but it's also this dogged pursuit of longing to be whole and healthy for the sake of your loved ones. And I'm thinking again, like you'd mentioned, you wrote that book about, you know, you didn't have a model before of this. So you're not only entering motherhood and marriage broken and trying to let God heal you. Um, you're also wanting something that you've never seen done before. And yeah. <laughs> relying on God. But sometimes I think uh, in, in counseling women in that position, they're looking for the exact right book, or maybe it's a family devotional, or maybe it's if I just do X, Y, and Z. And I love how you said, become the woman, the person, uh, have the relationship with Jesus that you want your kids to have. Was there anything else, you know, going into and as you and your husband worked through what your family would look like as believers? What was that process for you? Um, like a, a gallon of fear <laughs> and then 10,000 more gallons poured onto yeah. a yeah. already burning fire of fear with gasoline <laughs> aplenty. But um, <laughs> let's use some metaphors here. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I mean, I cannot tell you how afraid I was. Mm. And of course, I... I voiced that to Patrick, my husband, and one little story stands out to me. My biggest fear was that my children would not know that I loved them because Mm -hmm. as a child, I was constantly insecure about that. There were times where I would take my mom's arms and physically make her wrap her arms around me Mm -hmm. and say, mommy, please tell me that you love me. Mm -hmm. And she would very briefly kind of pat me on the back and walk away. And so you can imagine what that does to a child. And and I, I think she had her own issues and we've, we've reconciled and I've forgiven her and all of that, but that still was the reality of what happened back then. And so I had this, my, all my kids were five and under and had three under five. And I was 
I didn't, I couldn't even tell you, like if you were interviewing me on a podcast in the ancient days when there was no such thing as podcasts, <laughs> it was a radio show. And you yeah. said, what's your biggest fear? I could not have told you my biggest fear is that my children don't know that I love them. Mm. It was never written down. It was never articulated. It was never even acknowledged. I didn't even know it existed, but it was there. Mm. And so I had a, f- a friend of mine who had recently come to Christ, uh, came down. Uh, we were living in Texas at the time and she's from Idaho and she came down to our home and just spent a week with us and my kids and we went to the zoo and all that kind of fun stuff. And at the end of the week, she said, Mary, I want you to look at me. And I, and I was like, okay. And I, as just kind of a guilty conscience person, I was like, oh, I did something wrong. Right. That shame <laughs> is coming over you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. What did I do? She's going to confront me on something. Okay. Let me get ready. Yeah. And she said, she just looked me in the eyes very strongly. And she just said, I think that the Lord wants me to tell you something. Hmm. She said, your children know that you love them. Wow. And I just burst into tears because here was this thing that I couldn't even articulate. And yet the Lord sent someone from Idaho to Texas to alleviate a fear I had not even voiced. And then once she voiced it like that, it was like, then I understood that God knew my heart even better than I did. And he knew the broken places even better than I did. And he could send ambassadors from all over the world you know, or, you know, through a podcast or through the radio or through TV or whatever, you know, in a book, we have all sorts of ways we can heal. But he physically sent someone to my house to look me in the eye and tell me that. Mm. He's he's pursuing. I mean, that's what I keep telling women is he's pursuing you. I'll hear stories and they'll say, well, then this random person invited me to Young Life. And then this, this person comes down from Idaho and, and his goal is to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And, and he, never intended for the horrible things to happen in your life. He never intended for us to be insecure in our love and our belonging. And yet we live in a broken world and it happens. And so he's coming in to repair it. And I love that in my question of how do you, you know, create this home of belief, it started with you wanting to know your children are loved. It's hard to believe something we can't see loves us if we barely believe the people right in front of us love us or that we don't love ourselves. Um, and so, you know, she says that to you and you are amazed that God would send the messenger to verbalize something that you didn't even know to put words to. And, and then going forward, did you act out of that? Did you believe that? And, you know, did it transform how you interacted with your kids? It did. And I can't remember which book I wrote this in. I've written a couple parenting books. Um, but <laughs> Out of the 30, one of them, which one of them? It's so hard. I can't remember. I'm getting old. But in one of them, I share the story of I was uh, about two years after that, where I heard that from my friend. I was sitting on the couch and I remember looking at the clock. It was nighttime. My husband was studying. He was going to seminary at Dallas Seminary at the time. And so once dinner was over, he went into the room and studied and I was, you know, on my own. And, and I remember sitting on the couch, it was like 930 at night. I remember seeing the clock. I remember hearing it tick on the wall. And I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to say that you are a good mother mm-hmm. and I want you to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is probably the sloppy Joe I had for dinner or whatever. <laughs> Um, but I've, over the years, I've come to understand the still small voice of the Lord and I knew it was him. And I thought, this is dumb. I don't want to say this out loud. There's no one really around and I don't want to, but then I thought, okay, well, I say, I love Jesus. So he wants me to do this. There must be a reason. And whether I think it's weird or whatever, I'm just going to say it out loud. So I said, I am a good mom 
and I said it out loud and I just burst into tears again. And I, and I, something broke in that moment. And I realized all that insecurity and all those fears that I was going to duplicate the home I was raised in it, they just kind of melted away. Mm. There's still vestiges of that. Of course. I mean, nothing's ever perfect on this earth, but there was a, a lion's share of healing that happened in just declaring that. And so if you're a, a listener out there who's just insecure about your parenting, I bet that you are a good mom and it might be time for you to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and instead of looking at the flaws that we all see, just say it out loud, declare it, I am a good mom. Mm -hmm. Because when I started to believe that, I acted out of that in such peace. There was such an underlying peace. I wasn't trying so hard. I wasn't like chasing after my kids, hugging them way too much and telling them I loved them, which is what I was doing before. I was so worried. And and so there's something about declaring the truth that you are a good mom. And God has, the Holy Spirit has equipped you to be the mom that you need to be for those kids. He's chosen those kids for your household, and He will equip and empower you mm-hmm. to love them well. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, too, if you're in that place and unbelief that you're a good mom, it almost has to be a Holy Spirit driven moment, don't you think? Like it has oh, yeah. to be this yeah. supernatural because it can't be like an Instagram, you're a good mom. It <laughs> doesn't go in. It doesn't go in. It doesn't stick. Um, but that, that time with God that you spent, it seems like that was what drove your home to be this home of belief was you coming face to face with your core beliefs so that then you can inspire your kids to have that kind of belief. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, like. yeah, it is true. And, and you know, there's, I wish there were some sort of magic formula. And you mentioned that mm-hmm. at the beginning that, oh, if you just do these seven <laughs> things or yeah. read this book, it's all going to be awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee that your kids are going to do all the things you want them to do or, you know, act in a way that brings you joy. Um, and I think that's part of the pain of parenthood. And it's also part of the trial of Christianity of knowing that, we do our very best. There's a very old quote from a Keith Green song from the um, eon years of the <laughs> 80s. And he said, and the, the quote is, just do your best, pray that it's blessed, and he'll take care of the rest. Mm. And you have to leave the, what the rest is there is leaving the outcomes of your children and your expectations on how even a Christian family looks like. Yes. You have to leave that into the into the capable hands of Jesus because each of your children is going to have a very unique journey and it's going to be shaped like them. They're going to have their own story and restory and they may wander, they may rebel, they may have um, issues of learning or um, all sorts of crazy things that, you know, health issues that just were not what you expected. Mm -hmm. And so to have joy today, you have to just look realistically instead of continually longing for what you don't have. Look realistically at today, surrender where you are today, surrender the outcomes to Jesus, and and determine in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will follow Him for the rest of your life, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. I fear that there are parents out there in, this, in the American system uh, that have given in to a cult of protectionism. Yeah. And they have protected their kids to a fault because they're so freaked out about you know, not having control or not having outcomes that they want. And, you know, in the beginning, when you're parenting your toddlers, there should be a lot of control and there should be a lot of strength and consistency and all of those great things. But 
as they grow older, you're going to turn into a coach and that coach is going to help train those kids to get out there in the world and, and learn how to scrimmage in the world. And so we slowly and beautifully and difficultly, um, unleash our control or unlatch our hands from the outcomes. And we begin to kind of let our kids try to ride their bikes on their own, if that makes sense. So, so true. So good. In recovery, uh, we're walking through this 12-step program uh, with our small group, and so much of it is recognizing your limitedness and acknowledging God, who is powerful and knows everything, uh, is to be trusted, and we can surrender the outcomes to Him, just like you said, and it's so powerful to parenting. Uh, You've shared so much of your story and your hard things, but in parenting kids to believe in God, what were some struggles you had along the way as they got older, as they started verbalizing, um, you know, interacting more with you about the Bible and about prayer and any any bumps along the way that would maybe encourage a mom who who's having similar bumps? Yeah, so many bumps. <laughs> um, and I think that was my fear in uh, writing parenting books because yeah. I started off, I'm, I'm a novelist mostly, like I feel like that's my best like skill set is writing novels, but most of what I've written is nonfiction. And my literary agent said, no, you really need to write parenting books. And I thought he was dumb. And, um, cause I just have so <laughs> oh, hear that little... conversation. You're dumb. <laughs> I was so insecure about yeah, it, but yeah. I think the best thing that I have learned through the years has been having the kind of relationship with your kids that you can have difficult conversations. Mm. And, um, I wrote it in a book, called You Can Raise Courageous and Confident Kids. I remember that one. Yay. Um, And in that book, I talk about conversational parenting. And if you look at the New Testament, there's this word called peripateo, which just means walking around. And it happens all the time. Jesus is peripateoing with all of his disciples, and he's hanging out and walking on roads with people. Mm -hmm. And that is basically how the kind of parenting I wanted to have is this peripateo parenting of of walking alongside of, and I actually do take walks with my kids even now. Um, my eldest is 24, 24, and, uh, she came home and she was, mom, I just want to take a walk with you. Mm. (laughs) So just that kind of like having that open dialogue and that they will know that they can come to you with anything and you're not going to freak out. You might have to practice your deadpan look in in the mirror (laughs) for a while. Like, Oh, thanks for sharing that you're, you did that thing. Um, <laughs> it has no effect on my facial muscles, but uh, inside you're screaming. Yeah. Um, but just having that welcome, open heart. And um, I think, too, a part of that is being authentic. And I we grew, we, um, we ministered with a family once several years ago who they looked really awesome on the outside. They had everything under control and they were like the best legalists ever. I mean, they were, mm-hmm. their kids were like in a line and, and then one day my daughter went over to their house and she came back and she said, mom, I don't ever want to be at their house again. And I, I was like, what? Because this was like Ken and Barbie Christian. I was like, <laughs> so surprised and come to find out as we peel away the layers of this family, um, Oh, it was just disastrous. So it was do as I say, not as I do. And, Mm. and it was all about appearances. And I think we can run into that in in the church where, okay, we're going to church on Sunday. We're going to put on our best and we're going to put on our happy face, 
But um, I have found I've, I've gained greater relationship with my kids when I share my foibles with them and I share my brokenness and my weakness. And um, that opens your authenticity and willingness to admit you're wrong and ask for forgiveness of your kids when you yell is really going to endear you to them. And, and I think that's something I have done well. It's very cool. I, I love the following Jesus example of discipling because that's really what we're doing, right? That's the goal, isn't like you said, to create just a bunch of rule followers in our home who are good Christians who read their Bible and pray, but to follow Jesus. And he did it by walking around and having conversations and um, directing his disciples back to God. And for that mom listening who didn't grow up in a home of believers, she can look to Jesus, say, okay, read the Gospels. How did Jesus interact with his disciples? Follow that model and um, trust that the more you develop your relationship with God, the more you'll be able to direct your kids to God uh, in the the dailiness, right? It's those being ready for those conversations uh, and not always feeling you have to have the answer to be perfect. You know? <laughs> oh, I don't know the Bible verses. You know, some people, mm-hmm. there's this fear or this insecurity in, well, I didn't grow up in the church and I don't know Ezekiel 72, five. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if there's a 72, five, but there's that, there's that like, oh, if I don't know, then I, I shouldn't talk to my kids about the Bible kind of thing. Did you have those thoughts? I I did, of course. I think every mom has those thoughts. And and one thing I was I was teaching our life group this last week at our church, and one of the things I said was, your own personal discipleship journey is the preparation you need for the traumas and tragedies that come in the future. Mm-hmm. And so, not only does it count that you're discipling yourself or that you're walking alongside close with Jesus because it's good for you and it's good for your kids and it's good for your family. It's also this unseen preparation for when things go south and they will. Um, Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome in the world. But he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It also says, um, those who des- desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think that's in First Peter. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I was losing. like, you don't even know where it is, right? You just, <laughs> yeah, but well, I remember that yeah. verse. And uh, it's, we will. I mean, the yeah. trials are coming. Persecutions will come. And one of the best preparations you can make is just to press into Jesus today. That is the best gift you're going to give to your future self. Mary, you're amazing. And I know that the wealth of knowledge and experience and encouragement you have is really deep. And so I do want anyone listening who's connected with your story or just go check out the Restory podcast and all the, the 30 books you start reading. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just put those on the pile of your bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure everyone is all they year give, long. They give me a hard time because I'm always recommending books, but <laughs> and I'll just I'd recommend 30 in one episode. Um, <laughs> no, it's easy. So thank you again. I really appreciate all. I really believe God is glorified. Like you said, in your story, not staying in the darkness, but coming out in the light and, knowing that even from the hardest beginnings, God has redeemed your story and is redeeming your story. And, um, and for each of us to be encouraged to give those invitations, uh, those gospel invitations, right? They matter. They matter. So thank you, Mary. Where can people find you online? I know you mentioned the restory.com, but where else can they find you? Yeah. So marydemuth.com is the easiest way to find everything. And um, so, yeah, just stop over there. And I I feel prompted to say one more thing, if okay. you don't mind. I would um, love it. <laughs> I, uh, 
I hope, and this is my prayer, that my story is also hope to the parents out there who have a child who's been sexually abused. Mm. There is absolute amazing hope. And I am a better um, empathizer I because I've walked through so much healing. Um, God has given me an amazing story. I am whole. I am set free. And so for those who are grieving some sort of pain or abuse in their child's life and they think it will never get better, they're doomed to have a terrible life, that is just a lie from the pit of hell. And so my encouragement is that's not the truth. Mm -hmm. And there there is always hope because there's always Jesus. So good. We don't want to be burdened by that guilt or that shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Mary, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. Adios. It's a lot. And I'm so thankful she added that at the end because as parents, there are things that are going to happen to our kids outside of our control. And we don't want to allow Satan a foothold to use those things to hold us down in guilt or shame. Um, Guilt uh, because there was something done wrong, but we have to release that to God. Uh, We have to let him take that from us and know that it is forgiven and he is he he is able like she said to transform lives to restore our lives and he can restore our kids hard things are going to happen to him and sometimes we have to let hard things happen that is a lesson i'm i've been working hard to fight against but letting our kids have hard things happen um a variety of hard things even scrapes and bruises with our littlest ones uh letting them learn and grow and trust in him i had a I think a pastor tell me it's the train wreck with grace, if that's what it takes to bring our kids' hearts back to him. Um, we surrender that. We surrender that. I also uh, want to let you all know that I will be heading to Israel on Monday, March 20th, I'm leaving with a team from Israel Collective. And so next week's episode is an interview I did with Josh Aarons, who is running our trip, who's leading the group. And I know it's kind of a random, it's not about parenting necessarily, but you will find out that it is. He does such a good job of sharing how his mom influenced him and interest in Israel. We're also going to talk through different places we're going and why they matter. Talk through Jesus's life a little bit. And if you are that mom who didn't grow up in a Christian home, my hope is that it, uh, in, it gives you information that you can share with your kids and it empowers you that you can have these conversations with your kids and especially leading up to Easter that we can be talking about uh, all that happened that Holy Week from Palm Sunday to the cross and then the empty tomb. So uh, be ready for that. And also while I'm gone, I will have an interview with Ellie Holcomb that'll go live, which is basically her and I crying and laughing and then crying and then laughing, talking about her new album, Red Sea Road. Uh, And the tomb again, the empty tomb, uh, how we are not held by death, that uh, we are free and we have a hope that is not going to be taken from us. So be looking for those interviews and uh, for all of you in podcast clubs, keep it up. I know when I'm in groups, there's that mid-group lull, like there's the excitement at the beginning of meeting together, and then it gets kind of tough to make the commitment happen, and so you stop showing up, um, but we need this community, y'all. We need people to point us back to Jesus, to remind us that we're not alone, and to uh, help us to do this this job of being a God-centered mom, to 
point us back to where our true help comes from and keep that relationship with God going. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast club, maybe you want to start after spring break or after Easter and do a late spring group, go over to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club. It's very organic. You just decide how you want it to go. And I just provide the curriculum for y'all to talk about. So far, it sounds like groups are going great and moms are being encouraged and they're bringing babies sometimes and not sometimes and meeting at homes or meeting at restaurants and all, you know, once a month and once a week, all different, different opportunities. Thank you all for following me over on Instagram at God Center Mom and Facebook. You're the best. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.